Time Doctrine, the following program is being performed entirely in the news. Several complaints from the Women's Lib Organization have uh, reached the ears of the management, requiring at least 30% of our programs to be done in the total news. We are complying with that tonight. Uh, I was out in Albuquerque the other day. One day. And uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting experience to fly to a place and spend a couple of hours there and then get in a plane and fly back. Uh, how do you think Albuquerque looks? Well, it doesn't look like that. However it is, <laughs> however it is. But I'll tell you one thing they got in Albuquerque that's unbelievable. Uh, I went to this place with this guy. He says, you want to go to a place? He said, let's go out and have a drink after we had done this thing. And uh, I was out there for the premiere of a picture, Flap, which is a picture with Anthony Quinn in it. He's come full circle. He's playing Indians again. So uh, he said, <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> so we, <laughs> be, we uh, talk about a great breakthrough in the films. Wouldn't it be a fantastic breakthrough if they went out and got some Indians to play Indians? That would be really revolutionary. But uh, nevertheless, I went uh, out with this guy, and he says, where do you see this place? And uh, we went uh, a couple down, a couple side streets, and it's a, you see, this is very high altitude there. It's about uh, seven, 8,000 feet, 7,000 feet, something like that. So it's a crisp, cool night. You can see stars arching overhead. I'm in the trackless western plains, and uh, way off in the distance you can see just a vague, shining outline under the moon of this mountain range. We're near old Santa Fe. And I said, gee, this is the, the real west. This is, this is where it really is. And so we're driving around in this guy's Volkswagen. We go up and down a couple of streets, and now we get in front of this, it uh, looks like an Italian restaurant. So he says, come on in, we'll have a little lasagna or something. So we go in, and they said, how about uh, going to the bar first? I never saw in my all my places I've been in my life anything remotely like it. It was a cave. The bar in this place was an actual cave. And it was uh, eerie. It was uh, you spent 10 minutes in that, you you know, your bird is gone. And uh, it was like a like a cave, it's a fantastic place. And it had uh, a strange feeling. I've been in places that have been decorated like underground places before, but this this really had a, a feeling of uh, creepiness about it. <laughs> and I said, what in the, what is this? He says, well, you wouldn't believe it. And I said, what? He says, the guy that designed the sets for Planet of the Apes designed this. It's well, showbiz is taken off completely. Wait till the guy that, uh, you know, just, just taken off completely. You know, you wouldn't guess who's the number one guy in, in uh, Albuquerque everybody talks about. Bobby Unser. You know who he is? Yeah. He's he's like the biggest thing since bottled beer, Bobby and Al Unser. And, <laughs> and you never, you never, you know, you're just not used to a town where the whole, you know, the whole world revolves around a couple of race drivers. You see, out here in the east, uh, everything revolves around showbiz here in this town. Oh, yeah. If anybody from showbiz shows up in any place, they just pass out. Showbiz is it. This is the, the, the this is the real religion of the East, showbiz. It's the real religion. I mean, where would Bella Abzug ever been without Barbara Streisand? Let's face it. I mean, it's real. This is the real thing, showbiz. And uh, 
any candidate uh, worthy of salt has got to have at least three actors running interference for him. You've got to get Paul Newman to give a talk for you, you know. Not that Paul Newman knows anything about economics or <laughs> social science. I mean, uh, that's all right. Showbiz, if it's a religion, you know, it's like in the old days. I mean, in the really old days, it used to be that the church would endorse a candidate. Did you know that? That the, that the cardinal would uh, endorse a candidate. Did you, did you ever see the last hurrah? Well, you know, that's about that, really. And uh, if you see the last hurrah, you, you see uh, the old uh, early 20th century, late 19th century candidates would always try to get on the good side of the local clergy. And so if, uh, if the Reverend uh, Whipple uh, gets up in, uh, in his pulpit and he says, I see you sinners out there backsliding. You're about to vote for big Iron Mike Wisniewski. I say to you, if you want to go to heaven, you'll vote for my friend, Charles W. Whipple. Yes, he will be an alderman. Well, of course, this did it. That was the end of the ballgame for Wisniewski. He couldn't make it. And uh, that was the way it was in the early days, back in the 19th century and early 20th century. But now, today, can you imagine the excitement in, uh, in, in the, uh, the smoke-filled room, see? Uh, these these two guys, three guys, five guys are sitting around. They got pastrami sandwiches, and they're wearing those hats. They always wear in smoke-filled rooms. They got the cigars going. Give me a little of that mysterious music, Tony. A little of that. See, it's a dramatic moment, a dramatic moment in American democratic history. The moment when a candidate emerges as a genuine threat. See the smoke-filled room. It's the flea bag arms. A little hotel on the west side. The smoke swirls around. And the head man of this committee, the citizens committee for the election of the concerned candidate, Fred W. Clobberman. A man of action. Old Fred Clobberman, of course, he's got his fingers in many pies. And one of the pies is doing a little hanky-panky with trucks out on the Jersey Turnpike. He's got a little thing going with the garbage out there in the Passaic. He's got a lot of little actions going, and these guys are really concerned because they got a lot riding on uh, old Fred W. Clobberman, the concerned candidate. So Big Mike stands up. He says, guys, look, you guys, I don't know what we're going to do. And we're getting right down to the wire, and that ain't happened yet. I don't know what we're going to do. Now listen, you guys, I don't want to hear no talk from none of you. I gotta think. We gotta get Clobberman in. If it's if it's it's gonna take anything, we gotta get him in, because if he if we don't get in, we're dead. All of us. You hear that? Dead. Dead. Every racket we're running is out the window. Dead. Concerned citizens for Clobberman, we gotta make it. I don't want to hear no talk. I gotta concentrate, I gotta concentrate. And then the camera quickly shifts away from Big Iron Mike, who's got his henchmen scared. They're worried. You can see the fear, the sweat pouring down their noses because they don't get Clobberman in. They're dead, all of them. Forget those trips to Miami. Forget that yacht. Forget the whole scene. When suddenly, the camera picks up the phone. Hello, yeah? Yeah, it's Iron Mike here, yeah. No kidding! Oh, my God, it's great. We're in. We're in. 
Break out the champagne! Break out the champagne! Hey, fellas! Fellas! Break out Dustin Hoffman! He's coming in with us! Dustin Hoffman is coming in with Cleverman! We got it made! Yes, they have gotten the papal blessing. And, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a... That was kind of a nice little drama, wasn't it? It's an exciting little thing, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Speaking of dramas and speaking of the church, uh, did you uh, see a little note about the England? After you should know about this. It's happening all over, you know. Everywhere, the churches are re-examining their positions. St. Martin's Parish... That's an elegant old church. St. Martin's Parish in Ruislip, England, has fired its chief church usher, a former, a former army man, because parishioners complained, and we quote here, he's, he's still a sergeant at heart. <laughs> Ousted usher Michael Lane, 67, ex-sergeant major in the British Army, said, I've never been rude to anyone in my life. The vicar, the Reverend Kenneth Tovey, said, where it was decided Mr. Lane must go because of his rather abrupt way of dealing with people. I believe he's still a sergeant at heart. <laughs> Which leads to, I just thought, that I read that thing, I thought to myself, I could sit to the side. Can't you, can't you, can't you see the scene? Look, give me a little more of that uh, dramatic music, Tony. Here's the scene, you know. The time is now 10.15. 35 minutes before the first service at St. Martin's, a tiny parish in an elegant section of Old England. The gray light filters in through the ancient stained glass windows that are reputedly of early medieval design. The chief usher, a tall, hard-looking man with a flushed, ruddy face, stands atop a pew. All right! First church choir room. All right! All members of choir, attention! You will move out at 11.01, 11.01 hours. You will move out smartly in column of twos. Uniform of the day will be class A. Blue robes, white collars. Collars will be white. I repeat, collars will be white. You will deploy at 11.05 hours into the choir loft. We are a little late, so move out. All right, move out. Pick up them feet. Double time. Hup, hut, hup, feet. Oh, Vicar, Vicar, pull in your gun. And Vicar, this morning, I want you to keep it short and sweet. We are moving out. Ten minutes later, I can see him with the people lined up outside the church, see? <laughs> They're all coming in. <laughs> Can't you see that, Tony? They're all lined up. See, it's Sunday morning. The sun is beaming out there. Johnny, give me that same thing you gave me. That was nice. He's all, you know, he's he marches out now, and he sees this ragged line of kids and, you know, elderly people and 
ladies with blue hair, a couple of fat businessmen. They're all lining up out front. All right, come on, dress up this line. I don't want no talking when you're moving in. Keep your mouth shut. You will be questioned on today's sermon. I want you guys to move out quick. Hey, you over there. I don't want to see you. Straighten up a tie. Look at that belt buckle. Hey, lady. Where do you think you're going with that shopping bag? You will leave your shopping bags in the supply room. And you will move on a double. Now, let's move it up. Let's move it up. Now, come on. Move that line. Let's go, you guys. <laughs> oh, I kind of like that. You know, that's that's uh, actually... Uh, this is WOR New York, speaking of oppression. Salem tastes springtime soft, springtime fresh. It's only natural. I don't think it's so smart to use dirty words. Just write a promise on a card and wrap it up with a gift of Arpege. Arpege and promises go together. They always have. Dear Miss Clark, I promise you, you're the best secretary I ever had. Promise her anything. But give her Arpege by Lanvin. You can give her the classic square bottle of Arpege perfume for as little as eight fifty. Give her a tingling Christmas of Jean Nate. A spray of Nate. The spray bath cologne. The friction pull of bath. Or the fabulous new bucket of Nate. They're not just the gifts to give, they're the gifts to get. Give her a tingling gift of Jean Nate from $2. And uh, we have uh, the Xmas Fund with us here. Let's see. Joy to the world to, the, to sing. To in. G minor. I didn't know that was in G minor. It's joy to the world. I'm not going to sing. This is a freebie. The joy that you give to others is the joy that comes back to you. Make this Christmas a happy time for kids all over the area. Give to WOI's Children's Christmas Fund. These are hospitalized kids, needy types, and they give them great gifts. And if you'd like to send in a buck or a dollar or a nickel or a dime or whatever it is, box 710 Times Square Station, New York. Right? This is John Wingate. Are you still searching for a good-tasting table wine? That's why Jack Faust created Melba for America and Italy produced it. This extraordinary imported wine is a natural dry wine with a distinct and refreshing flavor. Melba's secret is in the blend. Its subtle dryness is soft, and its taste especially pleasing. 
Melba is totally different from the usual table wines. So don't expect Melba to resemble any wine you've ever tasted. Melba's not sweet, like Sauterne, nor extremely dry, like Burgundy. Just expect a new, delightful taste experience when you drink Melba. It's great with fish, fowl, or meat. When served well-chilled, Melba enhances the flavor of each and is for those people searching for a table wine they can enjoy. That's why Melba is Melba. There's no other wine like it. Buy Melba today, wherever fine wines are sold. Try it with dinner. Tonight. Imported by 21 Brands, New York. Edited for television. What happens to all the sex and violence between the movie theater and the television set? The current issue of TV Guide magazine interviews one of the men who edits movies for television. The same issue previews Ed Sullivan's Christmas special with Art Carney and the Muppets, talks to Jackie Gleason about his forced retirement, reviews Lord Kenneth Clark's public broadcasting services 13-week series, Civilization, and interviews Nancy's Celeste Holmes. Just part of TV Guide's in-depth coverage of the people who make television work this week, every week. TV Guide, New York's biggest-selling weekly magazine. America's biggest-selling weekly magazine. TV Guide, on sale everywhere. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, I'm going I'm to confess a terrible thing to you that uh, you may not know. That the, the last year I was in the Army, uh, or at least one part of the time I was in the Army, I was a duty corporal. That strikes fear in the heart. <laughs> now, anybody who's ever seen me on the stage knows that there's a lot of the duty corporal still in me. I mean, you know... Uh, there's one thing that duty corporals don't have, and that's stage fright. They do not have trouble speaking in public. I have never, I've never known a duty corporal or a first sergeant who was shy. They just don't go together. That's like a, uh, you know, like no, knowing a nervous tiger. <laughs> just, uh, no, 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 it just doesn't work. And I, and I remember the first day. Uh, how how this came about, uh, it, it, it doesn't even uh, affect you, really, or the story. But how I got to be a duty corporal is one of those strange things that happened to you. One day, I'm, uh, you know, I'm fooling around the company area, and uh, I have just made corporal. And uh, that was after, you know, I'd risen rapidly up the chain of command. It took me, oh, maybe three years, something like that. <laughs> Two and a half. I finally got that stripe. And uh, so I'm, I'm walking around the company area one day, and uh, I walk past the early room. This is how simple it was. I walk past the early room, and uh, Kowalski's sitting there, and he's the first sergeant. Now, if you don't know what the early room is, I'll have to explain that to you. That's the company office. It's uh, where all the bad stuff happens. It's, uh, it's where it comes out. When you're called to the early room, uh, there's a little flame of fear goes through your gut that's just there. That doesn't make any difference uh, who, how, how hip you are. When the PA system in the barracks says, Man, you worry. So I'm just walking past the orderly room and it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. This is how your whole career can change just by, uh, just by uh, accident. Had I been down at the PX then, it wouldn't have happened. 
I'd had a different personality. Have you ever wondered why Shepard's so arrogant? You ever wondered? You ever wondered about that? Have you ever wondered, Tony? Well, you, you've noticed it, haven't you? Okay. That's right. I, you wouldn't believe what, it was, what I was like before this incident. I was a simple, sweet person. I uh, never spoke in a, in a, uh, in a loud voice. Uh, I rarely spoke unless I was spoken to. I would never, ever, uh, uh, for heaven's sakes, would I ever, uh, never, I never deigned to give anyone advice on anything. Never. And I was very quiet. As a matter of fact, I was a foot and a half shorter even. Uh, yes, I'll do that to you. And I, I was a very, very quiet little fellow. And uh, I, I, I had gotten, by dint of pure seniority and uh, compassion, and uh, I think a, a mess up in the, in the uh, battalion records, I'd been made a corporal. And uh, I wasn't going to say anything about it. And I wasn't a duty corporal. I was just corporal. See, corporal, corporal, that's all. No particular duties, just a, a corporal. And I was in this uh, radar company, and uh, I got the stripe. And so I quietly put it on. And I was very careful about wearing my stripes when I was around officers or even high non-coms because they might discover their mistake. You see, I just... <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> some guys... So I, I'm walking past the, the uh, orderly room on this disastrous day it was a quiet afternoon and uh, Kowalski is uh, in there at his desk and he could look out through the screen door and he could see the company street he always liked to keep an eye on the, on the troops and uh, he's sitting in there now generally I used to make a big detour around the back of the early room so I wouldn't have to walk past the door and uh, you know I, this particular day I, I figured I was safe so I'm walking down the middle of the company street, casually moseying on down towards the supply room, you know, see if I could steal a field jacket or something. So I'm walking on <laughs> past the past this orderly room. When Kowalski spots me, I could see him in the darkness there. He wore these green glasses. See, Kowalski never forgave us for something that happened to him. He had been in the Air Force, and that forever afflicted him. And And he looked upon his tenure in the Signal Corps as slumming. He really hated the Signal Corps. And they had assigned him because he was a first sergeant. I don't know how it happened, but here he was. He was assigned to us, and he had been in the Air, Corps, Air Force. In fact, he walked around once in a while in an old, one of these short jackets he had. See, it had the big Air Force insignia on it. And he used to wear that just to bug us, just to let us know that he had known better days. That <laughs> he had come from a better and a higher plane of existence, and so what? What did this uh, Air Force uh, tenure do to old Kowalski? Well, he forever wore green glasses. He had gotten himself a pair of these green sunglasses that flyers wear, and so he wore them in the shower. You'd see him wear. Yeah, he wore these asleep. He let her sleep. He's got his sunglasses on. He wore his sunglasses in the middle of the night. He just always wore sunglasses. Very sharp looking, little short guy, angry looking type. And uh, once in a while, he would make veiled references. For example, he'd stand in front of the company, and he would say things like, uh, You guys was a waste gunner. Huh. Boy, you guys wouldn't be as sloppy as you are now. I'll tell you that. That's You're either alive or you're dead when you're a waste gunner. Well, he never actually said he was a waste gunner. <laughs> he never actually... But he implied things like that. And so I'm walking in front of the oily room on this disastrous day. Well, actually, it's a good day because it, it made me what I am today. Let's face it. I'm a very diffident, quiet guy. And I had just gotten my stripes. And 
I was very uh, careful about wearing them in public, and and this day I, I had a pass for five o'clock that night. See, so I was dressed up and I had on my corporal stripes. I was going into town. You know, you, when you when you when you achieve considerable rank, you like to impress people with it. It's a, it's a fact. It's a human failing. Would you say that, Tony? It's human failing. So, uh, I so I'm not giving any. Uh, I'm not uh, apologizing for it, but it actually happened, and I'm just admitting my my uh, diligence there. I wanted to make it in one way, and on the other way, I was a little afraid I might. So uh, I'm walking along in front of the orderly room this day, and it's dark in here. It's always dark in here, see, and I could see the glint on Kowalski's sunglasses. He would sit in his, in his room there. You'd see the sunglasses shine. It looked like some ancient monster waiting to pop out and grab somebody, which he did occasionally. You could hear a bellow of rage and a scream, and Kowalski's got somebody else pinned up against the latrine wall. So I'm walking past casually, trying to look straight. Yeah, you know, I've worked out a technique myself, never catch anybody's eye. That's a good technique, right, Tony? You, you, you work that out in the subway. I mean, you, you're liable. You, 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 I believe if somebody, if the wrong guy caught the wrong guy's eye in, let's say, the double E train at the wrong time of the day, it could result in the biggest riot in the history of mankind. It could spread all over New York. It's like, uh, you know, it's like spontaneous combustion. So New Yorkers are adept at not catching anybody's eye. I can just see the average New Yorker arriving up before the pearly gates. And uh, St. Peter looking down, he says, Look at me! Look me in the eye! Now quit shifting around! You're going to have to pay for all that stuff you did. Here, it's right here in the book. And the New Yorker, of course, still shifting around, skulking. He doesn't want to be involved. And so uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm walking past this orderly room, and I've got my eyes shifting around so I don't catch the green glint in Kowalski's sunglasses, which could be fatal. And so I'm walking along, trying to look straight ahead, when all of a sudden you hear, Hey, Shepard, come in, Shepard. Come on, come in, in here, Shepard. I want to talk to you. Now, that was very, that was v being very moderate for Kowalski. He actually used my name, which is something for Kowalski to do. So I thought, oh, oh my God, here it goes. There goes the corporal stripes, you know. <laughs> hey, Shepard, come here. I want to talk to you. I walk in, and I'm being very diffident. I take my hat off in the early room. I says, yes, Sergeant Kowalski. Well, come on, sit down. Come on, sit down here with me. Come on, come on around and back. Hey, why don't you sit down here for a minute? Sit at the desk. I want to talk to you. I thought, oh, my God, no, this is bad. This is the first time he's ever talked to me like a human being. What's up? Now you really get nervous. So I come through the swinging door. You know how they have this little swinging gate and all the other ones? So I come around the swinging gate, <laughs> and he's got a chair, just like a tennis waiting room next to his desk. So he says, oh, come on, Shepard, sit down. You want a Coke? You want a Coke? Hey, man, hey, bring us a couple of Cokes out here. Does he want a Coke? I didn't even know he drank Cokes or anything like that. You know, this this guy was like, uh, you know, solid iron. So I sit down. I'm real scared and nervous. And I try to hide my corporal stripes so he doesn't see I got him on. See? And he says, hey, come on, man. Bring me a couple of Cokes in the back. Look, Shepard. You know what's happening to Nash, don't you? I said, Nash, Nash? Nash had been the scourge of the company ever since I got in to this company. Nash was Kowalski's Eichmann. Nash was the duty corporal. Now, the duty corporal is the guy that gives all everybody in the company that dirty work. 
He's the guy that, that, that actually does it. First sergeants don't do that, right, Tony? That's right. Anybody knows anything? Uh, there's more misinformation in movies about sergeants. Most people, you know, the, 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 a first sergeant is very close, very close to God. So first sergeants don't stand around and tell guys who's on KP and who isn't on KP, right, Tony? Forget it. I mean, that's like expecting the, you know, the the the, uh, the general manager of General Motors to come down and tell the guys who's going to use the screwdrivers and who's going to use the wrenches. Forget it. There is a guy who's in between, and he wields an incredible amount of power among the yardbirds, the duty corporal. Well, that's who Nash was. Nash, this short, red-headed guy from Anniston, Alabama. Nash was like a rock. And I remember Nash, Nash used to, he used to say all the time, on the ball, on the ball, come on, come on, come on, on the ball, come on, come on, straighten up, let's go, on the ball, let's go, you guys, come on, come on, come on, drop your, drop them socks, let's get going, come on. And uh, that was the way old Nash was all the time, I tell you, he kept us going. And so I didn't, I never heard any rules. I was not privy to the innermost uh, uh, deployment of the troops. They did not call me in when there was a big master plan for Company K. And so here I am sitting next to Kowalski. Kowalski turns to me and he says, Shepard, you know what's happening to Nash, don't you? I says, <laughs> you mean Corporal Nash? Hey, you know, oh, yeah, Corporal Nash. You know where he's going? I said, no. Uh, Nash is going to OCS. Applied for OCS a couple of years ago. Finally come true. Yeah, he's on his way. Going to Fort Monmouth OCS. So what does that mean? I said, oh, my God. I'm thinking to myself, oh. What an officer that guy's going to make. Boy, I can see Nash chewing out a platoon. My God almighty, you know, that's the first thing that went through my mind. And I said, well, you know what that means, huh? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Company K needs a duty corporal. I said, yeah, that's right. Then I thought to myself, because it never occurred to me, you see, what was about to happen. I thought to myself, gee, that's, that's, we can't do any worse than Nash. <laughs> Could only be upwards, see. So I says, "Well, yeah, that's true, Sergeant Kowalski. I suppose that's true. I hope we get a, you know, kind of a nice guy. Uh, you know, everybody don't 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 misunderstand me, Mister Sergeant Kowalski. Uh, everybody likes uh, Corporal Nash. <laughs> yes, everybody certainly likes Corporal. We're going to be sorry to see Corporal Nash go. <laughs> and uh, uh, just, uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> I just hope we get the guy as good as Corporal Nash." And he's sitting there sucking away at his Coke and smoking his cigar. You ever seen a guy smoke a cigar and drink a Coke simultaneously? This is what Kowalski could do. He's sucking a Coke, smoking a cigar, and he says, That's what I want to talk to you about, Shepard. You just made corporal. Seen it on the orders. You know, come from battalion. And as you know, uh, we're under strength in the corporals. We, uh, we only got one other corporal on the, on the roster now, and he's a T5. He's in the antenna tuning system there over as Oswald T. Edwards, right, T-5 Edwards? You're for Corporal Shepard. I've been thinking. I was just talking to Lieutenant Cherry, and the two of us decided that we're going to give you duty corporal. How does that grab you? How does that grab me? It never occurred to me. It just never occurred to me. You know, there are certain guys... Well, you know the old situation. There are guys who do the ordering, and then there's the guys that get ordered, right? 
Well, you generally think of yourself in one or the other category, always. You think of yourself as, a, as doing the ordering or being ordered. You hardly ever cross the line. Well, all of my life, guys have been yipping and yelling and biting at my bottom, you know, and uh, <laughs> tell me where to go, what to pick up, when to do it, what to wear, what not to wear, when to get in out of the rain, when to go out in the rain, when to dig a hole, when not to dig a hole, when to do very private things, when not to do them. So I'm sitting there. You can give me a crack at what? It hit me first. Duty corporal. I think you make pretty good duty corporal. You know, I'll tell you, I'm going to give you some tips. All right, he said, let's, let's, uh, let's give you a whirl at it tomorrow. Now, I'll tell you what you do. When you walk out in front of a platoon, when you're like, you know, you're going to give them the... So I'll tell you what I do. Every morning, when, when, I, when I come to use you, you've seen every morning, I used to hand that clipboard to, to uh, Nash. I said, yes. He said, well, you know what's on that clipboard? It got all the, all the, I've worked out all the duties for the next day, and all he does is decide who's going to do them. That's all. I write down the stuff that's got to be done. Like I say, uh, clean up train... Uh, we got a, six guys for KP the next day. He's got the KP detail. He's got to decide who's going to, uh, like, for example, if somebody's going to have to paint the steps on the oiler room, we've got to decide who's going to do that, clean the grease trap, all that stuff. The job that Nash does is to make sure them guys do it. That's all. He don't have to do it. You know that Nash never washes no latrine or nothing like that. What he does is decide who's going to do it. Now, that takes a man with decision. That takes a guy who has the ability to command men, Right? He has ability to make them guys do the work. That's all. That's all you got to do. And so what does that mean? you got to be strong, Shepard, strong. you had to have strength, strength. Duty corporal has strength. That's all. He does not, he does not have to have uh, uh, ability to make uh, tactical decisions and like that. He's got to have strength. And so when I write down, paint the steps of the day room, he's got to have the strength to make it certain that the guy he assigns to Paint the day room steps does that right now on a double, right? Okay. Now, I'm going to give you some tips. When you get out in front of a platoon, what you do is you stand real quiet. Guys are never scared of guys that talk a lot. It never occurred to me. And I'm hearing some real inside stuff, Tony. You never thought of it that way, did you? Says, guys, I never scared of guys who talk a lot. You walk out in front of that platoon. I said, tomorrow morning, you watch what I do. And then I thought to myself, yeah. Every morning, Kowalski would walk out and stand in front of that platoon for about four minutes and just look at him. And by the end of the third minute, you are sweating in your socks, figuring the lightning bolt is about to hit. Now, if he come out there and kibitz with all the guys, forget it. That wouldn't happen. So I'm beginning to make sense. See, I'm giving you a little Machiavellian course on how to get people on a stick. He says, well, you walk out there, you stand real quiet. And when I hand you the clipboard, you don't say nothing to me. Don't talk. Because you've got to give the guys the idea, you know what is going to happen. You don't have to ask me. You know what's going to happen. I'll hand you the clipboard after I call a roll. I'll hand you the clipboard. And I will turn the platoon over to you. And you see, whenever, every morning, I say to Corporal Nash, I say, Attention, and ease. Corporal Nash, take over. You notice Nash don't say nothing till that moment? That's all right, Stuart. You and I pick up that clipboard, and he says, don't raise your voice. Talk real steady. And look him right in the eye. Any questions? You know, when 
tell you something. Remember, I was a quiet little diffident person up to that point. I perceptibly began to feel growth at that instant taking place. Yes, I could feel my shirt beginning to get a little tight over the shoulders. I looked down and I could see my suntan pants are a little short already. Dirty corporal. I never thought that this would happen to me. With that, Kowalski says, All right, Shepard, you got a pass tonight, right? All right, you go out and pass. I want you to be ready and ready to snap to him. Tomorrow morning when that reveille blows, I want you to come down here to your order room and we'll get ready with the day's work. And I think you're going to cut the mustard. Nash is already shipping. He's going to leave at, oh, 2300. He's going to leave at 2300 tonight. And that's the last we're going to see of Nash. All right, Shepard, you get out there and think about it. I walked out in the company street and I could see my friends walking around. Gasser, Edwards, all of my buddies are going in and out of a little train. Little did they know what was about to happen. And I wasn't going to tell them. I go into town, I hang around the... hang around the USO, knock down a few tuna salad sandwiches, eat a couple of donuts, drink some coffee, pinch this chick, play a couple of games of ping pong. And already I was beginning to feel that gulf that separates command from the trooping. Already I was beginning to feel that, that little that little chasm. That that which eventually grows to a grand canyon when we get to when you get to be president, man, that's a different scene. But I was already beginning to feel that difference, and I could see my buddies walking in and out, Gasser, Zinsmeister, Edwards, Goldberg, the whole crowd coming in and out. And I was saying nothing. In fact I remember Goldberg saying Hey, Shep, you're, you're awful quiet tonight. What's the matter? You know, I've been uh, always hanging around that donuts, yelling and hollering. Shepard is already getting that remoteness. I, I, I presume that many of you don't even know the loneliness of high command. You've heard of it, Tony? The loneliness of command? Well, the next morning, I could hardly wait. It's the first time in my life I could hardly wait for Reveille. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm awake about four, maybe four, four hours before early. I'm laying there waiting to see. I'm all, all excited. <laughs> and I've, I've got my clean pair of fatigues, which I keep only for special occasions. And uh, I had these clean fatigues. And the night before, I come back early from the USO, and I sewed stripes on a great big gold stripes with black outline of old bit. And I had, I had uh, taken my helmet down to the supply room where they had this, uh, they had this stencil and I had these big white, Corporal stripe stenciled on the top of my head. <laughs> I had it all going, man. And so the next morning, here, boom, yeah, ba -ba, yeah, boom, ba -ba 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 -ba. they start blowing, and instantly Shepard is out of bed. Where, of course, should have made everybody suspicious, right there. Shepard leaps out of his sack. He's into his fatigues. He's got the helmet on top of the head. He's down at. Down, out, down, down, through the company street and into the into the orderly room. And there's Kowalski sitting there, you know, he's still a little bit sleepy. And I'd never really seen him sleep, you see, because he always prepared well before he came out in front of the platoon. And he's uh, he's polishing his sunglasses. First time and the only time, by the way, I saw him with his actual eyes in operation. 
and he's polishing his sunglasses for the day's work. He says, ah, Shepard, all right. He says, now look, Shepard, Corporal Shepard, when, uh, when I step out in front of the platoon, he said, I want you to pretend like you never saw this list. Don't, don't, uh, just don't even look at it. He said, just take it from me. He said, but I want you to look at this list. Now, you see, here's the duty list for today, which I made up last night. You'll find uh, it's got the uh, KP list on it. It's, 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 uh, it's got the KP. Uh, here, here's the latrine. Now, we need two men. As you know, we use two men in a latrine, right? All right, you have to appoint two guys for the latrine. And don't let them guys complain. I want none of this business sick call on. You just get them down. I said, because every time you give a guy L.O., he starts griping. And we don't want none of that stuff. You just tell me he's got an L.O., that's all. March him down there. All right, now. I want these guys, I want a, I want a detail to go down to the, to the D area. I want these guys to clean out them tents down there in the D area because we're going to start using them next week. I want them tents cleaned out. You'll need about 10, 12 guys. Now, you march them out quick, get them out there, snap it up, and don't let them guys take no coffee breaks down there, right? Okay. Now, there's a couple of other small details. Now, you get out there, and when, when, when I call a platoon of attention, you just stand real quiet behind me, and I'm not going to say nothing. You just follow my lead, and when I turn to you and turn the platoon over to you, you take this clipboard and you start appointing them guys. I will come back into the orderly room, see? You don't stay out on stage too long. I come back to the orderly room. You get them guys set with the details, give them a five-minute break to go get their uniforms straightened out, get their all stuff all ready, and then call them back into the company area in five minutes. You come back into the orderly room and we'll talk it over. See how you're done. Well, remember, none of my friends know this. None of my friends, Gas or Edwards, none of those guys. And so I'm hiding in the in the oily room, and I can hear the guys forming up out there for, for the usual roll call. The whistles are blowing, you know. <laughs> They've got guys out there blowing whistles, and I can see them. It's in the half light. It's still all, just a little past dawn. Kowalski walks out of the order and says, okay, follow me. And he walks out, he's sharp, he's got his hat on. And I'm, I'm about ten steps behind him. And I've got my helmet with the big white things, see? Big white stripes. He walks out to the platoon, he says, All right, you guys! A pinch, hut! That is. Answer when your name is called. And he starts with our roll call, which was Abel Baker, Murphy, Charlie, Rana, Rana. And everybody goes, yo, 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 yo. Abel Baker, yo, yo. Charlie's in my whoa, whoa. And I'm standing behind him about ten paces. There was a brief pause after the reading of the roll. And Kowalski did this. Platoon, a peach hut. Corporal Nash has been assigned to OCS as of 0800. Your duty corporal will be Corporal Shepard 16098946. You will obey everything that Corporal Shepard assigned you to do. Remember, Corporal Shepard represents the orderly room. Any of you got any questions? Come in and talk to me about it. Platoon Eddies. All right, Shepard, take over. I took that clipboard in my hand. I looked over the platoon. I thought of his instructions, don't say nothing. And I stood there silently looking down at the clipboard. And I could see a sudden look of fear in Gasser's eyes. 
Zinsmeister had shrunk in a foot and a half. Corporal Roswell T. Edwards was a pool of sweat. And it was then that the new Shepherd began and has never ceased. Shepherd the duty corporal. Shepherd the tyrant. Attila the Hun. Shepherd who knows what the grease trap is for. Thank <laughs> you.